Father God, we thank you for gathering us uh, this morning and by using uh, Skype. Uh, even though we cannot see uh, one another, but our hearts is there to feel the presence of others. It's all because of you. And so we focus on you and so we can appreciate the, uh, the fellowship uh, among one another. We just thank you and praise you. And we thank you for your abundant grace. Uh, not only that our uh, sins have been forgiven, but also we are given the uh, inheritance and such wonderful pressures uh, from you through your uh, only begotten Son, Jesus. We thank you for the great, your grace that carry us throughout the day and through triumph and through suffering. And we know that suffering uh, is necessary for us to really open our eyes to receive you, uh, to understand uh, how important you are to us. We have many, many uh, thanksgivings for all that happened in our lives. Just we ask you to give us uh, the comfort and understanding that uh, only through you we have peace. And especially during our struggling and tribulation, let us never forget that you are with us. And we already triumph. We already won the battle. We just need to share this good news with others, whether believers or unbelievers, so we can strengthen those believers. And uh, we pray that our testimony would open the eyes and ears and hearts of those unbelievers. There are many un spoken requests within us and you know we have many troubles but we come boldly to the presence of you uh, to honor our needs although uh, oftentimes we don't we don't do not know how we ought to pray for but we know the spirit is uttering for us we know you can turn many things impossible into uh, something actually fruitful. There are many, many examples. For example, the uh, Apostle Paul, you know, he, you turn him from a Pharisee into a believers. Uh, that was absolutely incredible. Uh, with that in mind, we pray that uh, you may also shower your grace upon all of us. It's a winter time right now. Uh, we actually encounter certain vehicle transportation issue. We pray that uh, when we sit behind the wheel, uh, we will have the conscience and total understanding of the safety, not just to us, but also to other drivers or passengers on the side of the road. The people in this nation, not just in this nation, but also all around the world, may their eyes be open to see uh, the certain ingredients, in common ingredients in the food, which are very, very unhealthy, uh, very detrimental to 
uh, their health. So uh, people will stand up uh, against or even somehow change the, the policy of uh, the labels uh, and detailed information such as like, like that. We thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer and especially your grace, which is so wonderful, that strengthens us every day to enable us to look forward. Uh, uh, one day we are going to uh, be with you and be with uh, Jesus forever. And such wonderful news. May we always keep that in mind and to share that with others. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Louis. So that we have a great, great uh, opportunity today. And that is to go back into this great letter, Paul's letter to the Romans. And today will be the first of a two-part, I believe two-part, series on the rest of the chapter that we're currently in, which is chapter five. The title today is Two Men. Adam and Christ have changed everything for sinners. Two men, Adam and Christ, have changed everything. We won't do much of a review. In fact, uh, our review today will be just for me to read some verses that precede verse 12 here in this chapter, because uh, verses 9 through 11 take us right into the section uh, we're in today. And remember last time the subject was peace with God, available by faith through Jesus Christ. And we looked into that uh, beginning in verse 1. And we ended with uh, a section there that I'll reread now. And uh, that was all about uh, how we are, Paul says, saved by Christ's life now and forever. <laughs> uh, and he says, much more, we're saved through Christ's life. Praise the Lord. And let me read those verses, Romans 5, verses 9 through 11. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. And that uh, is such an amazing statement. The apostle, when he's writing the letter, guided by the Holy Spirit in every way, will now go on to explain further how that can be, what the foundation is for that teaching, because there are things that we must understand or we will be thoroughly confused as to what God is doing today under grace. And I'm sure you'll agree with me after we have gone through our teaching today that these next verses are really, really fundamental and uh, pivotal for our understanding. However, I have to say however, because today we've reached one of the most difficult sections of this letter. 
but also one of the most blessed, I'm convinced, if, 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 it's a big if, if we take these verses one at a time and carefully reflect on what's written here. And this we will seek to do today, Lord willing, for our better understanding. It'll take two sessions because uh, the depth of the teaching here is great, and I do not want to try to do this in just one session. It wouldn't be good for me or for you to try to compress it down like that. We really need to take two times. And today what we'll do, we'll look at some details, yes, but mostly uh, try to stick to the higher level of the teaching and then next time get down to really uh, the nuts and bolts of it, you might say, because there are many who base false teachings on some of the words that we will find here today. And we have to avoid that if at all possible. So uh, I want us to have understanding and not confusion. I would certainly like us to know exactly what Paul is teaching. In other words, what God intends through his teaching and not in any way to uh, be uh, at a loss to, regarding the words that we read here today. This chapter is one of the most important in the Bible for us grace believers, and it's most critical for our understanding of the entire letter, really, for it explains so much about how God is working today under grace by especially focusing on the truths concerning the imputation of sin and of righteousness. The imputation of sin on the one hand and of righteousness on the other. Adam's sin on the one hand and Christ's righteousness on the other. So let's just jump right into it. This is our outline for today. Two men, Adam and Christ, have changed everything. First of all, through Adam came sin and death for now and forever. Secondly, through Jesus Christ came justification of life for now and forever. Thirdly, two, T-W-O, two, reignings, reignings, like reigning in life. Uh, verse uh, 17, we reign in life today through our Lord Jesus Christ by his grace. So two reignings by Adam's fall, death, but through the grace of Christ, life, two reignings. Next time, our focus it will be right at the end of the chapter. Next will be two heritages, heritages. <clears throat> by one came condemnation, by the other justification. And then finally, sin abounded in death, but much more grace abounded in eternal life. Okay, now I want to give you a little bit of an introduction because we need to see this sort of at the highest level we can. 
we've already gone through four chapters in the Romans, and so we should already have considerable understanding of how God is working today and how he's worked in the past. Remember, this is uh, Paul's exposition on the redemptive plan of God dispensationally considered, and we've certainly spent some time on that, and I hope it's been greatly for your benefit. So at the highest level, what do we have in the Romans? (laughs) We have the doctrinal teaching of the entire plan of redemption. Several dispensations are included here, but not all. There are differences of opinions as to how many dispensations are revealed in God's word. Uh, And I'm not interested in debating exactly how many. Some are very clearly revealed. Some are referred to only in passing uh, in the, the scriptures and here in Romans too. In some cases, there's only a verse or two relating to them. Uh, But the central teaching of the Romans is really in three parts, if you just sort of look at the whole. Firstly, the accountability of all persons to a holy and righteous God who created them. Secondly, the provision by the Creator for deliverance from the eternal curse of sin through the God-man, the sin, the seed, the God-man, the seed of the woman. And then thirdly, the distinctive message of salvation by grace through faith with its radical dynamic of the gift of life under the abundance of grace and how that message is both similar to but different from the various means of salvation revealed down through the ages since the Garden of Eden, okay? So the distinctiveness of the message of salvation by grace through faith along with its radical teaching concerning the life under grace that we have privileged to live today. That message is both similar to other messages of salvation given down through the years and yet quite different from them in some specific ways. And that's really what the letter to the Romans is all about, those three things. So first of all, the accountability of all to holy and righteous God. Secondly, the provision of the creator for deliverance from the eternal curse of sin. And how? Through the God-man, the seed of the woman, Christ Jesus. And thirdly, the distinctive message of salvation by grace through faith with the life empowered by the grace and its abundance poured out upon us. Oh, my, these are wonderful things, aren't they? So the very heart of the message of grace is all about the righteousness of God 
and its imputation, the righteousness of God, and its imputation to believers by grace through faith alone, independently of any and all works. And that's where we have come here in our study of the Romans dispensationally considered. Now, looking at chapter 5, further, we've come to verses 12 through 14, where the apostle further explains verses 9 through 11, which we have just read. And that sets the context, really, for the study today. He sets the context for the rest of the chapter with words that are really incomprehensible apart from what's written earlier and then later on here in this chapter. And I I mean that quite sincerely, quite incomprehensible. I believe that the teachers of uh, the ages who have uh, spent much time in the letter to the Romans because they don't rightly divide, they, they really cannot understand Paul's words well at all and are largely ignorant of the most uh, important part of what Paul has been re- chosen to reveal to us today, right? Christ taught him, remember, from heaven's glory uh, what he was to, to uh, teach and preach to the Gentiles, right? And he he is uh, minimized today or ignored altogether or uh, law is somehow tried, uh, somehow placed into grace to pollute the whole concept of grace uh, or grace is somehow read into the law to uh, pollute the whole concept of the law, right? And so uh, as a result, because of a failure, a fundamental failure to rightly divide the the word of truth, uh, Paul cannot be understood. And this letter here ends up being uh, uh, far less than it should be, the hearts and minds of the people of God. So really, we need to understand what's written here. And chapter five is uh, pivotal and foundational. When you get to the end of the chapter, the last two verses, later, right at the end, I'll have Jerry read these for us, that they summarize the whole thing. But how can anyone understand these two verses without uh, understanding what has been written before, right? And I'll read them for you now, verses 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. How can anyone understand this at all, apart from what Paul writes here in this chapter that lead directly up to these final words? Well, first of all, our first point is that through Adam came sin and death for now and forever. Brenda, would you please read for us these verses, verses 12 through 14. 
Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Thank you, Brenda. Well, I'm sure you've all read these verses before, probably many times, and wondered what in the world (laughs) is the proper understanding of what Paul has written here. Some of it's quite clear. I mean, who can who can deny the most fundamental point made here? No one, which is that death is a stark reality. All sinners so far have endured it, with nearly no exceptions. Enoch and Elijah being the only ones revealed in Scripture that have endured a full life without death interrupting. But this verse is saying much more than just that. It's saying much more than that uh, sinners to die. No, it says where death comes from. <laughs> it says death comes from sin. Uh, what does that mean? Death comes from sin. You might think, oh, that's really simple. So God uh, uh, requires us to keep the law. And if we don't, we suffer the consequence, right? Well, that's not what Paul is writing here. In fact, he goes on to explain himself. He first says in the verse we just looked at, verse number 12, he says that sin came into the world by one man, okay? And death by sin. Okay, so it's saying a lot more than just that all die because they're sinners. But you might wonder, how how could sin come from Adam? I mean, how, how can sin come upon every person who has ever lived? And uh, Paul is going to explain it here in this chapter. Praise the Lord. Be thankful Uh, We can go somewhere in in the word of God to get these things uh, explained so that we might have a proper understanding. Well, elsewhere in Scripture, there's also teaching about this, isn't there? Um, Because through Adam's sin, we know that a curse came upon all of the creation. Of course, on Adam and Eve as well and their offspring, right? And uh, in a sense, you could say, well, that explains the whole thing. That answers the question of how Adam's sin affected their offspring, or does it? That God brought a curse upon the creation. Was it really that simple that God cursed mankind along with uh, bringing a a stain uh, upon the perfect creation that the Lord God had brought forth? Uh, as we read about uh, and read about often back there in Genesis, right? Is it that simple that somehow now now because of Adam's sin, God has uh, cursed the creation and that has brought certain consequences like sin and death? Well, maybe death, but how about sin? Okay, so how how did this work? 
Now, we know that there is a sin nature in every person. And uh, most commentators assume that that's what Paul's writing about here in this section. And that that was simply how God cursed mankind. He gave him a sin nature. And because of that, he changed the constitution of mankind in ways physical, certainly spiritual, but even physical. And so then death could uh, operate. Whereas before, Adam was created perfectly. You remember, right? It was all very, very good indeed. There was no uh, possibility for death entering in, not in the system that was set forth there. We read about it in Genesis. After all, they had the tree of the of life <laughs> that they could partake of, right? And uh, in fact, <laughs> that would be enough even after the curse came upon them, according to other verses there in Romans. And that's why uh, they were prevented from getting into the garden again once they had been cast out. Because then they would be living forever with sin and uh, learning more and more profoundly how deep the stain was and uh, in constant turmoil as a result. And so the Lord God, you could say quite mercifully, uh, prevented them from getting back to that tree of life. Well, yes, there is a sin nature in every person now, while previously there was not. But what does he say about that in Romans chapter 8? <clears throat> okay, so I'll read it for you. Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 22. And this is what we read there. And then we'll look at Genesis chapter 3. Romans 8, 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in a hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain until now. So, as a result of Adam's sin, there was a, a consequence on the entire creation, including mankind. Okay? And somehow, it's all... <laughs> what? In ways we can't comprehend, looking forward to the, as he says, the manifestation of the sons of God. <laughs> what a marvelous basis for hope indeed right there is uh, found in verse uh, 22 uh, and uh, the verses that precede it. Well, then if we look at Genesis 3, though, <clears throat> what does it say there? Verse 17, and unto Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. <clears throat> In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread 
till thou return unto the ground, for out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Okay, so there is really revealed there um, that there is this curse on the creation and upon mankind as well, no escaping it. And the end result is death. But Paul says, death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. He doesn't say, oh, well, you've got this nature, it's been corrupted uh, uh, as a curse by God, and now uh, you'll suffer the consequence uh, in dying. No, it's more, much more than that. Paul says he highlights sin as uh, what brings the death. doesn't say the sin nature. It says sin. Okay. Now, notice in the King James, there is a parenthesis um, there that goes all the way down to verse 17. Sorry for that. Junk calls come in. Um, but but uh, the translators put parentheses in to help us understand uh, what the the original text is saying. And they put them where they think they should go. And I'm not going to get into the, the controversy about that now. Let's just ignore that for now. Maybe next time I'll say something more about it. But But in any case... Paul says here something quite astounding, okay, to help us understand how sin can be the ultimate cause of death. <clears throat> okay, and this is what we find in verse 13. This is what it says. You should take note of this because uh, I can assure you that the commentators of uh, history have, generally speaking, completely ignored this verse to their own peril okay what does it say for until the law sin was in the world but sin is not imputed when there is no law oh my paul what in the world are you doing here <laughs> opening up uh, a cornucopia of uh, <laughs> uh what uh, questions <laughs> uh, that uh the greatest theologians may not have any answers for, right? Well, you don't need to have a great theologian if you have the Apostle Paul and take him at his word. We also learned something uh, more of this truth because you remember when we were going through certain portions of the book of Acts, we saw how Paul in chapter 14 and also in chapter 17 was preaching to Gentiles, and what does he say there? But in chapter 14, he says, the Lord God has given you many good things, and you uh, have uh, not realized this was by the hand of God, <laughs> and you have instead uh, worshipped uh, idols. 
uh, and in chapter 17, you know, right after he did reveal that to them, they stoned him and left him there for dead. But anyway, so he didn't get to the gospel. He just started to lay a foundation for it. Then in Acts 17, it was a similar thing. Only there he actually says, the Lord God uh, winked at your disobediences, you Gentiles, until now. And he says, but now there is one man that's been revealed, and he is the one who can be bring deliverance, and not some kind of idol, because we have the proof of it, and that God has raised him from the dead. But he doesn't get to the, the gospel of grace, because what happens? They say, okay, Paul, we'll, we'll hear you, the rest of the story another time, maybe. Goodbye. Uh, <laughs> So we see right there that the Gentiles who were not under Moses' law were not considered by God to be lawbreakers in the sense that they had not fulfilled the requirements that the law of Moses had laid down like the Jews had. And so nevertheless, he says, though, what does he say? He says, nevertheless, they died, right? <laughs> Uh-oh. So... Death couldn't come then from their law-breaking because the law wasn't given to the Gentiles. So how could death come uh, considering all of that? Verse 14 gives us the answers. Nevertheless, he says, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that was to come. Okay, so Paul says that death reigned even over those that didn't have the law, right? But even more than that, they hadn't sinned the way Adam had. Remember, Adam was given a revelation from God, and uh, he went contrary to it. And... Uh, Others weren't sinning like that. Uh, they didn't have that word of the Lord spoken directly to them uh, like he had. But nevertheless, they died. And Paul says it was by sin that they died. So what sin was it? And here he gives the hint to the real answer to the question. He says of Adam... And his transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Well, what have we learned already in chapter four? We saw the uh, the teaching on that, right? That it's through the imputation of Christ's righteousness that we have salvation, redemption, and and all things, right? Through the imputation of Christ's righteousness. But what about the imputation of Adam's transgression? Paul is saying that brought death. It brought death to all. That's how simple the teaching here is. And now let's go on, because Paul isn't going to leave it at that. He wants us not to be in any confusion whatsoever. So let's quickly proceed. Next time we're going to really get into the details. Okay, so Linda, open up the next section for us. And here we see how through Jesus came justification of life for now and forever. So Romans 5, verses 15 and 16. Linda? 
but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Thank you, Linda. Well, there's some there's some uh, difficult wording here for us to consider. Next time we'll look at it again. But what I want you to see now is everything from the highest possible level. He's showing here how, in each case, it was through one man that the consequence was then for the many, right? Through one man, there was a consequence. Through Adam, there was the consequence of sin and death, right? And it abounded. There was no escape, right? On the other hand, through Christ and his righteous act, not through his offense, as in the case of Adam, but through his righteous act, there was a consequence for many, right? That that also abounded, okay? And so that's the simple teaching here. It's a one-to-many relationship, all right? There's a similarity and there's a difference. The similarity is it's one-to-many. The difference is profound. <laughs> In the one case, sin and death are the consequence. In the other case, righteousness and life are the consequence. Wow, consider that. Isn't that most wonderful? That's just so much wonderful. No wonder he says much more when he brings in the grace of God and the gift by grace, right? Because the much more through grace is going to completely overshadow the former consequence of sin and death. And that's the highest level explanation of what Paul is writing here. It is the most marvelous message that even though sin and death abounds in the world today, the grace of God abounds even more? Yes. He says even more, right? Even more. And we have the privilege to know this. And even though the, the, the fruit of sin still continues on because our bodies are ultimately suffering death, unless we're delivered, of course. So it's not a, a, a necessary consequence any longer because there will be there will be many who never suffer death at all because they're called up into heaven's glory while they're still alive, right? But for the most part, it is the consequence of living. Living, in other words, is dying, and we start to die the moment we begin to live, physically speaking, right? That's a biological fact, okay? But the grace of God and the gift of righteousness by faith completely in the mind of God overshadows the stain of sin and its consequence. That's how God sees it. That's how we should see it as well. And verse 16 reiterates the same, and I'll look at it next time more. But in verse 16, 
we need to understand uh, something about the wording that we find there because there are some things that uh, need explanation indeed and uh, we'll look at that next time further so that we don't have any confusion at all about it it has to do with the nature of the gifts even calls condemnation and judgment a gift <laughs> but not like the grace gift, which is a different word altogether, uh, translated f free gift, okay? Meaning graciously given. And that's the one gift that overshadows the other in the heart and mind of God and should us as well, okay? Let's uh, finish up by looking now at the two different reignings, okay? First of all, by Adam's fall, death. And nobody can deny that death is reigning today, right? But then, through the grace of Christ, life. And we who are saved know about life reigning by grace, do we not? And though many times we turn aside and try to live in the world and, and find satisfaction there, there is none there. There is none there. But uh, apart from that, by the gift of grace we have eternal life now and uh, can enjoy the lord and how he is working and what a wonderful presence indeed he is to enjoy so let's um, have patty then read uh, verse 17 patty would you read that for us please or if by one man's offense death reigned by one much more, they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Amen. So through one man, death reigned. And that came upon that sentence, you could call that judgment came upon all. Right. But some are singled out then then receive the abundance of grace and the, the gift of righteousness. And he says, they shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. By the way, that really is a future tense there. It doesn't just say they should reign in life. It says more than that. But then we, we have to ask this question. <clears throat> what does he mean uh, when he says death reigned? And what is the point of it? Oh, there's more maybe than we thought. And I'd like um, Elizabeth to read for us because in Hebrews chapter 2, there is a wonderful statement that we all need to know well. Uh, Elizabeth, would you read to us from Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15, please? For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil and delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage oh thank you elizabeth so what is the great fear that mankind has, right? 
You you would uh, if you thought about about it deeply, considering considering that most of mankind claim that there is no God or just worship idols. In other words, they have no deliverance from from death, and they have an a fear that dominates their lives always. It says here, right? And they should take note of that. Why do they have a fear of death if they don't believe there's any afterlife? Hmm. It uh, seems to me they actually do believe there's an afterlife. And in many of the religions of the world actually have much teaching on the subject, and that's why they have reincarnation, for example, right? Uh, to have some kind of hope-so faith that isn't based on truth at all, but it's satanic uh, in, an, in, in every way. Okay, but what does it say here? That... Um, Christ took upon himself uh, flesh and blood uh, that through death he might destroy. That means to annul or to remove the power of, just like it says here, to destroy him that has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Okay, so Adam's sin dominates all sinners and uh leads to a hopeless condition uh, apart from the wonderful news of redemption through Christ, right? But there's more hidden in verse 17 of chapter 5 maybe as well, okay? Because it says believers, namely those who have received the outpouring of God's love and grace, (laughs) Okay, in place of the fear of dying, have a promise of reigning in life. Isn't that what verse 17 says? Indeed it does, right? And that promise blesses those who are saved and cancels out the fear of death. So to the extent that you believe that the Lord God has provided a salvation that will be absolutely and uh, unconditionally delivered by a faithful God because he has made the promises, right? To the extent that you believe that, the fear of death will not be any longer what dominates you. You will not be enslaved to it, but liberated. That's what the apostle seems to be saying here. But he's saying more, (laughs) He actually says what the means was of delivering those that had the fear of death, those who were dominated by Adam's sin. And he even says something about that here in verse 17, because notice what verse 17 actually says in addition to what we were just focused on. If by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more. They which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So there's the means. It is the reception of the grace of God. And isn't that the real issue today? What is Satan's lie? Satan's lie is that it's religion, and it's in its essence, is that it's by works. 
that one will be delivered, <laughs> right? <laughs> Not through grace. In fact, I would say to you, quite sure of this, and will boldly proclaim it, that the greatest lie today has to do with that. In fact, the greatest lie of all is that grace is, in fact, the evil thing because it cancels out good works and therefore uh, it's uh, thoroughly corrupt as a principle of faith because the Lord God, if he's good and if he's good, would certainly be impressed by our good works. And grace leaves leaves a loophole for sin, right? So Satan hates grace, and he hates the teaching of grace, and he hates the message of grace. And so those that live by grace and promote his wonderful grace find themselves always under attack. And so that's what brings us to the end of our teaching today. I would like us to read the final verses, though, because it sets the stage for next time and really shows us uh, how Paul will end the chapter in a glorious way indeed. So, Lydia, Lydia, I want you to read in Romans 5. Romans 5, summary statement there. Uh, verses 18 and 19. Lydia? Therefore, as the offense of one judgment came upon all men to con- condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For, uh, for as by one man's disobedience many around made sinners, so that by the obedience of one shall many be made righteousness. Thank you, Lydia. Well, uh, next time I'll I'll give you the details on uh, how to comprehend this because it's the issue of the many and the all, right? And uh, this many false teachers go here to say that uh, salvation will be universal. But that's not what Paul is teaching here. He's already taught the contrary to that, right? They that receive abundance of grace are the ones who uh, will reign in life. The rest are uh, under the judgment and condemnation of Almighty God. Okay, and in in verse 18, you see there are italics, right? In the best translation, there are at least. Uh, The italics are put in to uh, help one would hope uh, understanding. But uh, in fact, those italics there are covering up the truth of God, I'm sad to say. So leave them out. Um, next time we'll give further teaching on this subject so that you're not in any confusion at all. Okay. And so verse 19 concludes it as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the disobedience of one shall many be made righteous. And, uh, So that's kind of where we'll focus next time. But that brings us to his final glorious statement here. 
which I'd like Jerry to read for us in uh, verses 20 and 21, uh, completing the chapter. Jerry? The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, Jerry. So, as I said at the beginning, how can anyone understand the ending of the chapter without knowing what has gone before? How can it be that the law entered in order that the offense might abound? But he does say grace is even greater than all our sin. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And so what we've seen here today is that through Adam came sin and death, for now and forever, right? And those still under the curse of it uh, will suffer separation from God eternally. On the other hand, through Jesus Christ came justification of life for now and forever. Not for all, but for those that receive the abundance of grace, right? And we've seen that there are two things that reign and have reigned. In the one case, from Adam's fall, and that is death, right? Through sin, right? And in the other case, The grace of Christ and eternal life. Oh, what a wonderful blessing indeed. Next time we'll see how there are two heritages and then finally how sin abounds in death, but much more grace abounds in eternal life. So thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift, Christ Jesus. Well, I hope this has been a blessing to you. Uh, as I said at the beginning, it's a difficult passage, but there's a wealth of blessing here. If only we would take Paul at his word, a wealth of blessing through his grace. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. And uh, are there any final questions before we close today? Hi, Jim. This is Lewis. And thank you for the sermon. It's absolutely wonderful. And I just want to share two more things. Uh, well, I was, you were preaching, I was just study the words a little bit. In Romans 5.17 was talking about the much more they which receive abundance of grace. And I was like, okay, this is, what does this mean? Uh, then I look at the verb, the tense of the verb. It actually means present, active, participle. I was stunned. The tears almost filled my eyes. That means we actually receive the grace continuously. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's not like one time deal. It's we constantly receive the grace. Yeah. Oh my. I, I just think about this a little more. It's absolutely mind boggling, you know, when I <laughs> found the, uh, the tense of the verb. So that's why. The second Amen. one is, yeah, is a Genesis uh, chapter three. It talk about the 
the curse uh, of the earth, it was also fascinating. And Luo was talking about the uh, the curse of the ground for thy sake. <laughs> okay, so because I was thinking about this issue many times, so how did the earth was cursed is because uh, Adam, so God actually cast the curse. Then, then I was thinking about this, that maybe that's not the case. Maybe the earth was cursed is due to Adam's sin. So when the sin get into the world, and through Adam, everything's automatically cursed. Yeah, there's so, so much just, there. <laughs> right, it, it's very deep. So I would I would just thinking about that. Okay, it's not like God has cursed the earth. It's because the sin of Adam's made the earth cursed. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting uh, comments, Lewis. Well, uh, maybe someday we'll uh, take time to try to get into that further. But it, it doesn't it always seem that when we uh, study scripture, we always see something new that we didn't ever saw before, right? Right. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> and that's uh, the way it is. Uh, and I, I know that for all eternity, we're going to be learning exactly that, right? <laughs> all the depth of meaning, uh, and there will be no end to it. Praise the Lord. Well, let's pray. Uh, Let's pray. Father God, thank you for gathering us today and the many blessings of your grace, uh, your truth for us who have been declared sinners through Adam, but now are declared righteous through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that his sacrifice was sufficient to exchange all of our sin for his act of righteousness. And therefore, we stand righteous before you. So, Heavenly Father, may we uh, be a light, therefore, in the darkness as you have intended. And may the word of grace come forth from our lips to bless others also in ways that they never expected. And certainly you've done that in our lives and continue to do it day by day. So many blessings. Uh, may they be uh Worked out in our lives, Father, as we were face to face with uh, the effects of sin in this world and in so many who have suffered so much from it. And uh, may your healing touch spiritually and physically rests upon them for great burdens are there to be lifted uh, in ways that only you can do, Father. Thank you again for gathering us. And uh, again, Father, uh, thank you for a wonderful Savior. And it's his, his name that we pray. And amen, amen, amen. <laughs>